Welcome to this month's installment of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. What is this? 21 year? Hey everybody, welcome once again to Brass Chats. Today we're sitting down with a gentleman who won the uh, inaugural Ellsworth Smith Trumpet Competition and has been teaching at Boston University for the last 18 years, Mr. Terry Everson. Thanks so much for joining us yeah, here. My pleasure, thank you. Uh, what are you up to uh, nowadays? What are your latest projects that you've been up to? Uh, what do you have uh, in the future? Well, got a lot of teaching going on, of course. Yep. Um, but uh, playing wise, I have uh, two CD projects coming out pretty soon. Um, in November, uh, there's a live CD with the BU Wind Ensemble that has been recorded in concerts over the past few years. Uh, four different concertos, um, uh, Bruce Broughton, Jim Stevenson, Bernard Haydn, and Robert Russell Bennett. Bernard Haydn. Bernard Haydn, okay. the concerto commissioned by the ITG, actually, oh, wow. uh, back in the 80s. Um, so that's coming out. Uh, we have a big CD release on November 19th coming cool. up. And uh, then uh, Sheila Kibbe and I have our first of our Art of the Sonata CDs, which is in the can, hasn't been edited yet, but uh, hope to okay. have that out sometime um, early next year. And what's going to be on that one? That will have the Thorvald Hansen cornet, uh, Maurice Emanuel also on cornet, uh, Carl Pils, the Harold Shapiro, and the Hindemith. Wow. Oh. Nice light program, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> the, the earliest sonatas of which we're aware uh, from various countries. What are you playing nowadays in terms of non-recording projects? Uh, non-recording projects. Uh, I am uh, playing principal trumpet with Boston Modern Orchestra Project. Okay. Uh, we uh, have a concert coming up next month uh, where I'm playing Alan Hovannis' Crimean High Rig, um, of which I was completely unaware. Yeah. Um, kind of like a prayer of St. Gregory, except not as rangy, but longer and stays on the face forever. Okay, sounds like um, fun. And then right after that, I'll come back on and play the Shostakovich first piano concerto trumpet part. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't do the piano part. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's coming up next month, um, and uh, some things with Boston Pops over uh -huh. the next few months. Um, play okay. a lot of principal trumpet with the Esplanade uh, Pops Orchestra. Okay. Uh, these days, um, so uh, whatever, whatever comes along. Oh, very cool. Is, is what I do. Let's go back to your early days on the trumpet when you first started. Uh, who was your first teacher, and what was the best? Uh, what are the lessons that stick with you <laughs> from your first teacher? My very first teacher gave me exactly one lesson. Um, his name was Terry Everson. Still is Terry Everson. Uh, that's my dad. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the first time I could be in band when we were in school, and that's, we were actually living in Las Vegas at the time. Mm -hmm. I was going into seventh grade, and I could sign up for beginning band. And my dad, who had been a music education percussion major uh, at The Ohio State University, mm -hmm. um, uh, knew, he had taken brass class. So he knew how to play the trumpet, basically. And I knew that for some reason, and I have no idea why, Dad, why did you do this? He had a trumpet in the closet that he'd gotten as a Christmas bonus from a music store he was teaching at. Okay. I don't know why he asked for a trumpet. It's an Acme artist. Oh, um, sure. We ought to know. Everybody's, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, everybody's got one of those, I know. <laughs> um, but uh, he showed me, you know, how to blow into the horn. He showed me what the open notes were and told me what each valve did. Okay. And that was my first lesson. And that carried me for three or four years until I got to my next teacher when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I've always learned best from things I've had to figure out myself. Um, obviously, I had really great teachers and told me things, but 
you know, I think all of us, and this is the humbling thing for me as a teacher, knowing that a lot of students' discoveries don't come when I'm in the room or necessarily directly from something I've said. It's because they went in and fooled around with some things and found some things out. And so, so what do you think the role of the teacher is then? <laughs> um, well, certainly to stop people from doing stupid things. Um, my <laughs> teachers tried mightily to stop me from, from doing stupid things. What were the stupid things you did? Um, the biggest stupid things I did uh, were um, to get my high range, stretching my corners back as far as I could, and Arnold Schwarzeneggering the horn into my face. That's, you're not supposed to do that? Um, I've found it's less than efficacious, <laughs> uh, shall we word. say. Good Thank word. you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a college professor. After oh, all. of course. Um, no, I went all the way through, and despite what my teachers told me, I went all the way through junior high, high school, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and a year into my first professional job playing that way. Wow. I won contests playing this way so simply by force of will. Well, um, as anybody who's done that for a long time will know, you can play really well for six, eight minutes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, my recitals were real nail biters uh, yeah. when I was in school, trying to get through a whole hour of music and, and whatnot. And actually, um, uh, one of them bit me back when the Honegger Entrada ended up on the end of my master's recital, or something resembling the Honegger Entrada ended up on the end of my master's recital, uh, kind of at the last minute. And then um, um, it's, uh, I've played it for my students a couple of times when I felt like they need a little pick-me-up. Yeah. You know, that look, you know, this can happen to me. It happened to you. You'll, you'll live. You'll go on for another day. So you felt like you um, needed to make a change. I absolutely needed to make a change. I had gotten a job in the Chestnut Brass Company. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, the, the primary performing jobs that people think of when they're getting out as far as something they realistically think they can get, you know, orchestra jobs or, or band job, military band, something like that. In orchestra, you play short spurts for the most part, mm -hmm. you know, and then you get a lot of rest. You count to 700, and then you come in and do some more heavy lifting, and then, you know, count to 800 and uh, whatnot. Um, and I could get through those kind of things. I mean, as long as I didn't, I probably could have been in trouble on a Mahler 3 or, you know, a Mahler 2 or something like that in certain sections, but I could get through those kind of things. Um, you get into the quintet, and even if you're playing second trumpet, and Bruce Berry and I switched off playing first and second, you're playing almost all the time. Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, my chops just went you know, right in the tank after about a year of that. I actually played a concert uh, with the Chestnut Brass um, uh, open air in the Campidoglio Square in Rome. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been in the group about a year and we got through the first moon of the Ewald Quintet, which was at the end of the first half, and in front of 10,000 people, I leaned over and whispered to Bruce, can you take the first part? I, ca I can't play this anymore, oh I need the second gosh. part. Trading your part down in front of thousands of people. So yeah. that was the tipping point for you then? Um, that was a pretty good tipping point. And I went um, a few months after that, got a lesson with Frank Katarabic, who mm -hmm. was at the time principal trumpet in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And that came at a really good time for me because when I first arrived in Philadelphia the year before, I wanted to get a lesson with him so I could show him how good I was and get on the Philadelphia Orchestra sub list. Um, he, unfortunately, was very sick that year and wasn't playing in the orchestra much and obviously I couldn't get a lesson with him. Uh, and so it was a, a, a much humbled Terry Everson that came to him uh, a year later. Uh, I played eight measures for him of something, and he said, well, you're not ready to make music yet. Oh, boy. And That's a wake-up call. It is a big wake-up call. And you just kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, please do elaborate. 
you know, and he immediately went to all my tension issues in my arms, saw this right off the bat, saw what was going on there, um, and gave me exercises on how to correct that and, and get things moving the right way. This is obviously a common problem among trumpet players who tend to play too aggressively. I'm yes, sure we're all guilty of this. <laughs> um, so what kind of exercises uh, specifically did you guys go through to get you to see the light? Sure. The, the big one that he gave me was the preparatory exercises from Walter Smith's Top Tones for the Trumpet. Yeah. And um, uh, if you're familiar with that, it's just scales and arpeggios. Uh, C major, you go up and down twice in duplets, three times in triplets, four times in quadruplets, and then... Um, three sets of arpeggios with different articulations. So he started me with that. I was on my C trumpet and said, you know, can you play up this way and use your air and focus your corners in as you go higher? And I tried that and I couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, try it on B flat. So I went down a step, I tried it on B flat and I just barely made it. And he says, well, you should start on G. Okay, point taken. <laughs> so I went to G. And I went down, and the things he really focused on were, of course, you know, focusing the corners in. Um, I don't think they actually moved, but for me, I had the feeling that I was moving them inward to go higher in order to keep them steady and solid and in yeah. place. And then he was really big on making sure I used the air the right way, so he would make sure I started as soft as I could, got pretty full over the top, and then also, most importantly, coming down diminuendo again. Again, the... the, the the tendency of trumpet players, we go up, and as we come down, we're not paying attention to anything. Because yeah. trumpet players, we're, we're not built for going down slower or softer, right? right. I mean, higher, faster, louder, <laughs> you know, we're all fine with that. And so got my attention also focused on, on diminuending as I went down, so I didn't let my, ap my aperture uh, spread in that way. Um, and so his advice to me was, in my fundamentals time, in my practice time in the morning, start on G rest as much as I play, and take these up step by step by step, half steps, mm -hmm. as high as I could play with correct form. I kept a little mirror on my music stand all the time during this time. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I reached one that I couldn't play with correct form, that was the end for that day. And it didn't matter if I got a step or a third higher than that the previous day. Today was a different day. Now, what was the time frame we're talking about? What was your progress curve? I saw... Uh, well, I should, I should also mention with this um, that he said when I was playing in the quintet, he understand I, ha I have to make a living. I can't walk out on stage and say, you know, sorry, taking everything down an octave, you know, mm -hmm. in bad form. Um, so he said, play the way I had to play and everything else, but do this. So, you know, there was a, a combination going on. I couldn't, I couldn't stop playing and only do this. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was about six weeks or so after I started this that I started seeing my quintet playing start in the direction of when I had to play high notes. In fact, I think at the time we were playing Hens of Fragments from a show of all the things, you know, to do while you're trying to work on playing high correctly. Um, and yeah, it was about six weeks or so it was creeping in there and I was starting to notice that when I tried to play a high note in the quintet, I actually came in and used my air. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had one, over the months it got better, I had one major relapse about um, the next September when I went to the Munich competition mm -hmm. and I walked out on stage and I looked at the judging panel and said, oh, I have his records and his records and his records and his records. And, <laughs> I'm just going to push as hard and, as I can. Oh, now. and I, I, I had to play the first two movements of the Hummel uh, in E and I didn't have a D trumpet. I played it on C trumpet. In E? And in E. Hummel in E, the original key. Yeah. Um, and I went out there and everything just froze up again because, you know, of course, playing an E major on a C trumpet is just, you know, 
such the not convenient thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so I did have a relapse at that point when I got under pressure. But other than that one time, um, you know, things moved along pretty well. And, and it, you know, I, I always tell my students with this kind of transformation, it takes some months, um, depending on what else you're doing and how consistent you are with, you know, um, uh, I like what John Daniel says, you, you water the flowers and not the weeds. Oh, okay. You know, so, sure. and, and that was Frank's point, you know, is when you go up to these high notes, uh, if, if you're doing this and, well, I got B-flat yesterday, so I'm going to get B-flat today no matter what, my body's going to say, well, that's how I get B-flat. You know, it's, it's however I have to get it. If I only let it do the right thing to get the note, that's what it's going to remember. And that's what I remember today. I, I can't play the old way anymore. I know some players... I was going to ask you that, if you could do it. I, I can't do it. I've, I've tried to demonstrate how it would have looked and whatnot, and it just doesn't operate that way huh. at all. So it's, how long from the time you first saw Professor Katarabic until you played full-time the new way? Um, with, with the exception of that relapse I mentioned, it was, it was maybe six to nine months. Oh, wow. Something like that. I mean, it was, it was a process. Uh -huh. um, but um, like I said, after that, I've you know, gradually forgotten the other way. And, and it saved your career. And, and it really did. And I tell him that every time I see him. Mm -hmm. I, I always thank him. He's such a gentleman. He always is, oh, no, no, don't not. That's, it, was, it was fine. But, no, I mean, he really, and, and poor Dr. Burkhardt at Ohio State had been trying to get me to do all these same things for years. And I, I know when I wrote him the excited letter back saying, hey, Doc, look what I found out. He probably, you know, you know <laughs> smacked my head and like, oh, finally, at least he's got it now, finally. Right. Um, it sounds like you were mainly a self-taught kind of a guy then from the beginning. It's, it's, it's been that way. I mean, not to diminish the input of my excellent teachers. And in high sure. school, I also had some uh, lessons with uh, Wes Orr, who is a, a, a lead player in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he taught me a lot of great things, got me a good foundation in the Arben book and, and those kind of things that I... We luckily, fortunately, just had a chance to talk with uh, Charlie Schluter. And he mentioned that the role of the teacher, it's very important to teach students how to teach themselves and how Absolutely. to learn. And it it's kind of goes in line with what you're saying. Do you find the same thing? Do you try to teach students this in a similar vein? or I do. Um, I, I always try to explain everything that we're talking about and the underpinnings and, and why I'm thinking this way. And I, I'm, I'm not smart enough to teach too highfalutin, really. Uh, you know, it's it's very basic things. We have this problem. Well, that might be this, and yeah. let's and let's do this. But I always encourage my students, um, whether they do it or not, is up to them. But to go beyond what we're talking about, you know, mess around with this stuff, mm -hmm. and find out what works for you, because everybody's facial structure isn't the same. I mean, I've had uh, I've had upstream students, which mm -hmm. to me is is this. Huge mystery. Yeah, I don't get that uh, at all. I, yeah. I, I mean, I've never been an upstream player myself, and there are so many great players that, yeah. that play this way, and, and watching it work, and, you know, and so I, you know, if it's working, I don't touch it. You know, yeah. We just talk about the other things, and, you know, airflow is airflow, no matter which way you're, you're pointing a bell. Yeah. You know, um, corners are corners, no matter which way. And there are those basic things, but, um, you know, I really... Uh, I, I do tell them, explore, 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 you know, and, yeah. and try to find ways to encourage them and inspire them to do that rather than just saying you must just do A, B, and C. Yeah, yeah. Back to the beginning, um, when you were getting really good through maybe high school, college, mm -hmm. uh, obviously before you met Mr. Katarabic, but you had still gotten to a very high level of trumpet playing at that point. So mm -hmm. what kind of things were you doing to get to that very high level of playing? What kind of books did you go through? What kind mm -hmm. of concepts were you working on? Practice routines? Routines. 
<laughs> Zero. And what did you do to get Zero, good? But, well, I spent a lot of time playing the trumpet. And my parents can tell you it wasn't always practicing the trumpet. I would spend a lot of time playing the trumpet. And actually, in addition to that, I spent a lot of time playing piano. Mm-hmm. And also, not practicing piano. I would get out my mom's Mozart sonatas, and I would just crash through them. And my poor parents, and they would be like, you know, if you're not going to slow down and practice, could you just stop? And <laughs> I'd stop for a while until they'd leave the house, and then, you know, go go back at it again. My dad... Okay, so we were just talking about um, your self-directed trumpet routine right, going right. through what, high school was this middle school um, uh, both middle school into high school uh, I you think would just my, find things in the Arbins book and my, just blow through them yeah my parents bought me an Arbins book for Christmas I think in eighth grade mm-hmm. uh, I've been playing about a year and a half by that time and um, so um, I, I had a, a teacher for about a year or so in high school Wes gave me various things out of the various parts of the Arbin book which were good to kind of make sure I did my studies on the Gruppetto and my intervals and things like that because they were assigned and mm-hmm. I often sometimes practiced them the way I should <laughs> um, but more often probably I was playing what was fun out of the book and the other things I was doing was trying to play along with my dad's Doc Severinsen albums mm-hmm. uh, Doc was absolutely my hero growing mm-hmm. up. Uh, my dad actually wrote a couple charts that were played by his night show band when they were in New York. Wow. How long ago that was. Um, and one of them was a solo for Doc, uh, you know, ending on a double B. Um, I, I played that chart once or twice and almost made the double B at the end. <laughs> what are some of your um, favorite records? I'm sorry? What are some of your favorite Doc Actually, records? the one that I always was just listening to over and over again playing along was The Great Arrival. I think it was his first one with the Night Show Band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trumpets it. and Crumpets, yeah. Up, Up, and Away, and I, I can't even remember. I haven't seen that album for the longest time now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I mean, Doc was who I wanted to be mm-hmm. in high school. Um, all so you played the a lot of through. jazz. I, I did through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the direction I wanted to go. I, I stumbled into classical music completely by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, my first lesson with Dr. Burkhart, before I even got to Ohio State, uh, he, I, I got in with him because my dad knew him from playing um, wedding gigs and things like that around Columbus. Mm-hmm. And uh, first lesson, I went to his house, he says, well, there are a lot of ways you can go on the trumpet. How do you want me to train you? And in my mind, I'm thinking studio orchestra, you know, and basically the studio orchestra that, like the Night Show Band. And so my words, I, if I remember almost verbatim, were, were well, an orchestra player has to be able to be to do about anything, so why don't we go that way? I had no idea that if I left out the word studio, it was going to completely <laughs> redirect my life. And there we were. I mean, he, he didn't hear me say studio orchestra. He didn't say hear me say a word about jazz. Mm-hmm. And so he just assumed, oh, orchestra. And he saw the potential for the soloist kind yeah, of yeah. thing in me. And so, so he took me that way, and the death warrant on my jazz career was signed you know, that day in late 1979. Wow. Now, had um, you worked on improvising? Have you, have you done much with some. that? Some. Um, I, I, I've never have called myself a really facile improviser. I've got a good ear, mm-hmm. so I can hear where things are going, and I can play. I, I would rather, I hope never to see giant steps on the stand <laughs> in, in front right. of me. Um, uh, but um, ballads and, and certain things that I'm really comfortable with, um, you know, I mean, every once in a while something will come up in the pops that they need yeah. just a little bit of something. And if Rich Kelly isn't there, then mm-hmm. there I am. Now, have you had um, a chance to perform with Doc? Um, I have never performed with him. Uh-huh. Uh, I've met him a number of times at the, at the Shires factory and, yep. and had a great time hanging with him at ITG mm-hmm. this last May. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I hope someday... You know, that that opportunity might come around. Yeah, um, that'd be great. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just it 
it's those things you see in life that you you can't dare dream of. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, having your your childhood trumpet idol be somebody who sees you and knows you by name later in life. It, it's still it, it freaks me out when Doc says, "Hey, Terry, good to see you," and I'm like, "He knows who I am." Uh, is, the same way. Is... He was one of my idols growing up. I had the <laughs> Jada cassette tape. I had a. Tonight Show band recordings, and yeah, they just grew up on those things, and I finally had a chance to meet him just this last year, and it was just, it was unbelievable. Let's talk about some some geeky, nerdy trumpet stuff for a second. Wow. Huh? Can we do that? Oh, you can try. Uh. <laughs> Let's start off with uh, the question that everybody hates to ask, but what equipment do you play? Just so everybody knows for the record. Sure. Well, my, my main equipment is Shires. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the Model 502 C trumpet was actually my own design. Okay. Uh, with them, but I I, I have that uh, a model A B flat um, whatever the standard E flat D is, mm-hmm. and, and another C trumpet they made for me, more for orchestra playing rather rather than the solo playing that I designed the 502. Okay. Although I understand a lot of orchestra players like the 502, yeah, as well from what I'm told. And what about mouthpieces? Um, that is a work in progress. Oh, it always is. Um, isn't it? All, well, <laughs> there hasn't been much progress on it. There's we've tried to make progress. I am playing. The Mount Vernon one and a half C that my teacher loaned me in 1981. Wow, that's a heck of a um, loan. It's uh, yeah, you, you'll see. It's it's Ooh, very well worn, and, and I and I left too. some Scotch tape in there. Oh sure. Uh, because of course For the uh, purposes. yeah, because the the uh, it's it's so worn down, it, it goes in so far to try yeah. to keep the attacks a little bit more focused. I I use a little Scotch tape on it to to back it out. Um, I've I've been working with uh, somebody to try to. Um, uh, get a design, and we're getting close uh, to things. But I haven't actually been to his shop yet, so I'm, I'm still want to get there and do some things. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, not keeping 3M in business uh, <laughs> quite as much as, as I have been lately. Yeah, um, uh, but um, yeah, and it's and it's so corroded and and everything. So it's it, it's one of those ir- it can't be replaced or. Or copied really very well. Yeah, it's so hard to um, copy mouthpieces. Uh, so, um, yeah. so that's that's what I use for my solo playing. Um, I've got a one and a half C that Jim Becker uh, made that I use for my orchestra playing. Okay. Um, just got a little bit more mm-hmm. you know, uh, ease ease to a, a big sound that way. Yeah. Uh, as far as music, what are you practicing right now? What's on your music stand? Uh, well, what's on my music stand is the stuff for next month, the the Crimean High Rig and the yeah, um, yeah. and the Shostakovich, of course. Um, going on soon will be the Broughton Excursions that I'm playing with the BU Wind Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that... Um, As part of your routine, I guess. Normal mm-hmm. stuff on your stand. What, what's part of your normal maintenance routine? Um, I have completely flipped over Chickowitz flow studies. I'm just... I, mean, I, I realize that the things, the way I play over the last number of years is so much in line with those flow studies. And mm-hmm. I didn't know a whole lot about them and recently bought the, the, the books that have been published um, with the long tone studies and the flow studies and seen all the articles, the article that Mr. Yeah. Chickwitz wrote and various people like Tom Rolfs and, and, and whatnot um, giving commentaries and playing. Um, and I am all over those. Um, I also have always loved the various lip flexibilities uh, methods. Uh, the Charles Collin um, uh, is still one of my standard warm-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your routine? How, do you have a routine every day? No, I don't. <laughs> I, have, I do things that make me feel more or less the same. Um, 
I find that I've never been able to keep a routine for much more than a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, the closest I've ever come was when I was taking those lessons with Mr. Katarabic and working on, you know, that, um, the Amisher formation kind right. of things. And I mean, I was very, very disciplined about those for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, but well, let's um, say for an example, you have a performance. When's your next big performance? Uh, about three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there's... You know, you have normal freelance stuff happening, but let's say there's not a lot of freelance stuff happening for you, and you got a performance in three weeks. Mm -hmm. What's a typical day for you that happens during the next three these mm -hmm. next three weeks? Right on the instrument. Um, well, um, good solid warm up. I have warm up class with my students mm -hmm. twice a week at seven in the morning. Ooh, <laughs> come to BU, enjoy that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do enjoy it though. It's it's great. So in those, I'm largely working out of Whiff Rudd's collaborative practice techniques book. Oh, where I don't know that. He, he goes through. Oh, it's a wonderful method. Um, He's a great player. It's, yeah. It, it's and it's in, it's a great method for building community and showing trumpeters how to play together. Mm -hmm. A lot of call and response. So. Um, I'm generally, you know, playing something and my students are echoing and back and forth for almost an hour that way. Mm -hmm. And and we go through some mouthpiece things, sometimes some lead pipe things, um, various flow study kind of things, scales, um, Clark studies and all the keys mm -hmm. and things. So we, we get through a lot of that in about an hour of, of working flow, uh, flexibility and articulation. Mm -hmm. So when I'm on my own then, you know, I'm doing flow studies, I'm doing collin lip flexibilities. Sometimes I'll go into bilin. Um, I like the section five and six flexibilities where he starts widening the gaps. Mm -hmm. um, you know, starting maybe from the high note, start from a high C, go down to B flat C, G, C, yeah. E, and keep returning to that high note and be able to find the low note from the high note. Yeah. Um, find it really it helps me keep my aperture, you know, very focused and get down to the low notes without doing too much. I do as little as I can to, to get that. And then coming back up is very easy. And how much of the time do you uh, spend between the, the Broughton, the solo that you're going to be playing, mm -hmm. versus other maintenance stuff in a day? Mm -hmm. What would you say the percentage is roughly? Or Well, it's, I mean, I have, I have to say, it's because I'm a teacher, it really, uh. it really maybe warps what would usually be done because I'm doing so many of these things with my students and lessons as well right, right. with their basics. But then also, you know, going, okay, this person brings in the Tomasi and then the next person brings in the Desinclo and the next person, who good, Floor Peters, okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's do some Conconi, yeah. Um, uh, but, so you uh, balance it against what you're playing so in lessons. There's, yeah, so there's a ton of stuff yeah. that I'm just in. For me, that's kind of how I always practiced when I was in school uh, mm -hmm. as well whatever I had in front of me you know and I you know when I was in college I had all the 10 uh, uh, international music excerpt books with me mm -hmm. and just flip through and find okay where's the high loud stuff great that's boom <laughs> let's do that okay where's the next Mahler thing boom Strauss great you know Petrushka yeah, yeah boom you know uh, another one that has planets great you know and, and go and do that and it was just whatever I felt like playing yeah and somehow I have gotten through being able to juggle everything, playing yeah. what I felt like playing at a time in a very broad and varied diet. Um, uh, you know, with with solos, there aren't too many solos I have to uh, practice a lot to um, to get the technique down and things anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a lot of things, of course, I've played a lot already. So a lot of things I'm playing, I've played before. Um, you know, the things that I really have to go back and go to the woodshed on are things like the Krizwicki Sonata, if I'm playing that sometime. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a lot of work and one nasty triplet 16th cut mute 
thing that I <laughs> mm, um, that I have to continually go back and and yeah. review and review and review mm -hmm. and. Um, but um, so it's it's not so much that I'm working on things for technique. I'm working on things for music um, in that yeah. way. The Crimion High Rig that I'm playing, the Hovanus next month, um, um, it stays on the face a lot. I, I start to feel the burn by the end, um, definitely on the chops, even though it only goes up to one G on top of the staff. So do you do um, anything particularly to prepare your endurance for that? Um, flow studies, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and the Chickowitz flow studies, the, the etudes, and playing them slowly and um, extending things, not taking a lot of rests, and mm -hmm. just, you know, it, it's a lot of moderate playing, but long term. And, and I find the, that, that Havana's piece and the flow studies talk to each other in a really good way, mm -hmm. in that way. So, um, and, and I've trained myself over the years to not panic when I get tired. Um, I've told my students, you know, with the, the chops and the brain are always talking back and forth, right? And we're playing along, and after a while, the chops are like, we're tired, <laughs> you know. And, you know, a, a typical young trumpet player's brain says, okay, we'll send the reinforcements. Yeah. And clamp down and, and start trying. You know, then the air column looks at that and says, oh, you got this? Okay. <laughs> right, you know, right. I don't need to do anything now. And I said, you know, the, the, the response we need to have is, you know, I'm tired. Well, so noted. Right. Carry on. You know, and well, that ties me to another question I want to talk to you about mm -hmm. is performance anxiety, which is a huge problem for a number of people. Have you ever had serious issues with it? What have you done about it? I've never had really, really serious issues with it. There are times, and usually it's when I'm not as prepared as I want to be, mm -hmm. um, or there's something coming up that I prepared as best as I can, and I'm still not quite sure that it's going to make it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, part of the, the whole thing you ask yourself, uh, and I, I've heard somebody say, is, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, if I miss a note, if I miss the last note of a piece, nobody's going to die. Mm -hmm. um, I'll likely still have a career the next day. Um, I actually had to, to quit a recital at BU early once. I was trying some new things with my chops. <laughs> Coming into a recital. Not a good idea. <laughs> And I was working with a method that's very successful uh, for a lot of people. I'm not going to I'm not going to mention oh, what okay, it was, okay. but um, it's very successful. I've, I've even had some students that have come through that method and it works really well. For me, it wasn't fitting well. And I was yeah. going through a place where evidently a lot of people go through a place with it. And it happened right about the time of my recital. I was supposed to play the Suderberg Chamber Music 8 on the end. I decided that would be really a bad idea for me and the audience. <laughs> and so I came out and announced I'd play one more piece on the second half and everybody go home and watch Survivor, you'll be happier. Um, you know, and oh, the gosh. sun came up the next day. I still sure. had a job. Um, some of my students admired me more for how I handled the situation, yeah. you know, just because what else are you gonna do? Right. Um, so I have to say, uh, you know, when I played my recital at ITG uh, in last May, Anytime you play in front of ITG, you know, you look out there, you know, there's there's my teacher, there's my parents, there's there's Dave Hickman, there's there's all these terrific players mm -hmm. and, and, and and then family. And you know, you it does work on your mind some. Absolutely. You know, I'm I'm standing up there and I play most of my performances from memory, so I'm trying to remember this Emmanuel Sonata that I've never performed in public yet. Mm -hmm. It's the first time, you know, and thinking, you know, what's Dr. Burkhart thinking about this? What's, you know, what's this, you know, and, you know, and you just have to kind of try to lose yourself in the music. Yeah. Um, my goal, and, and the other thing that helps me is I remind myself, you know, I, I play music to touch people. Mm -hmm. I, I don't play music anymore 
um, for purposes of self-aggrandizement. It, it, I used to, mm-hmm. and I used to be all about me, and that, and that puts a lot of pressure on you when it's, when it's all about you and your self-worth derives from whether you win a contest or, right. or whether people stand up or they're just sitting clapping or things like that. And, and I came to the realization years ago that that just, it's, it's just not where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and part of it has come because I'm a teacher now. Um, I was never going to teach when I got out of school. I mm-hmm. completely just happened into it. And uh, in dealing with my students and seeing the result of what they can do because I want what I'm putting into them, um, it, it kind of rubbed off on my performing as mm-hmm. well. And uh, you know, I you know, I I play to try to touch people. You know, and. Um, as far as your teaching goes, you mentioned mm-hmm. your teaching. What qualities do you ascribe to your best students? Um, my best students are um, inquisitive. They work hard on not just what I assign them. Um, they uh, will go above and beyond, um, just, which is the same thing I did when I was in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Burkhardt assigned me a lot of things, and I practiced them some during the weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and, th- and then went and played Mahler too, you know, right. and, and then played Death and Transfiguration or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And my, my best students are, are students like that, um, that, uh, that really just have, and, and they look for uh, a character in what they're playing beyond just the technique. I mean, you listen to uh, somebody like Karen Blisnick, um, who, who came through here, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you, you hear it in what she does when she plays recitals, when she plays in St. Louis and, and whatnot. There has always been character in her sound mm-hmm. and in her approach to the music. Uh, and so uh, I've had a lot of students, and that's what I really work with my students on, you know, when, once we can get past the technical things, which yeah. I, I work hard to try to just you know, get this technical stuff out of the way. So now we can talk about the so what, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that when they get out there, my, the, the, the best compliments I ever get are, you know, somebody hears one of my students at NTC or something, they say, ah, I figured they were probably your student. I was like, ah. Now, now when, if you go back another step, what qualities are you looking for for prospective students auditioning? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you looking for? Um, well, some of the same kinds of things. I, I'm looking for evidence that it's not just, you know, a very limited scope of what they're trying to do. Um, there's got to be a certain level of competence there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if they don't have a good ear, um, if if their audition shows that they are not well trained in fundamentals like scales and and things like that, you know, that that kind of stuff shows up. Um, since I've been able to run my own auditions myself without having to have a faculty panel here over the last few years and, mm-hmm. and lengthen those auditions, I've been including sight reading and some ear training in the audition where I'll, I'll go to the piano, play a little you know, two-bar snip or something like that on the piano and say, please, please play what I just played. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people do really well with that. Other people's, it's, it's a little more of a journey. Yeah. Uh, it's not enough to totally change my mind necessarily. I, I usually know pretty well what's going on, but it kind of lets me know how much work we're going to have to do, you know, by how much they have to search and, yeah. you know, find, figure out what I just played. You know, I did so much playing along with records by ear, mm-hmm. you know, with Doc and whatnot, so, and, and I've got perfect pitch. It helps, obviously, to be able to know, have a very clear picture of what I'm trying to do. But, you know, do these students have a, a real connection between their ear and what they're playing on the trumpet, or are they just pushing valves you know, and, you know, pumping out what their teacher says sounds right or right, right. something like that. Let's talk about some stories. You've played a number of gigs in a number of places over the years. 
Yes, I have. Describe the greatest musical experience of your life. Hmm. Wow. Um, I have to say that's a, that's a hard one to just pin down one. One of the, I'll say one of the, one of the highlight performances, in a, and it was a very emotional one for me, just in how it came out, um, I premiered Stanley Friedman's uh, La Petura for solo trumpet with brass quintet okay. at the ITG conference in Akron in 1993. His piece had won the ITG composition contest that year. Mm -hmm. And I played it along with a group that at that time was called the Academy Brass. They were later the Stellar Brass from the U.S. Air Force Academy. Oh, okay. Um, and Stanley was actually there to uh, conduct us through and, and whatnot. And that's a, it's a really powerful piece. And I just remember um, it being just an amazing time and the, the way everything blended and the way everything came together. And the crowd leapt up after that one. Um, when I was backstage, I got a big hug from Arturo Sandoval. I got a big hug from Alan Vizzuti. I'd never met these guys, and I was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, totally in all of them, and the fact that they would come back and tell me, nice job. And I remember going to lunch with my parents afterwards, um, and I actually, I just, I sat down, I broke down and cried at the, you know, at the table wow. and in, in this, you know, in this dining commons or wherever we were. It was, it was just, it just had that amazing yeah. effect. Um, you know, I've been part of a lot of other ones. I mean, I played Mahler too with the BSO um, at Tanglewood. Um, a little over a year ago, mm -hmm. you know, and remember telling us, you know, you're playing fifth trumpet, you know, I'm like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> mm, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I pretty much made it. I, it, was, it was pretty good. Oh, that's um, and then this summer, actually, we, we played Pines of Rome uh, mm -hmm. with the Peninsula Music Festival where I'm principal trumpet, and um, my wife plays in the violin section there as well, and we used high school players for the offstage, and the principal trumpet offstage was my son. Oh my gosh! Really? And that was that was a real special time. Oh, I'll bet. Um, you know he's uh, he, he's a remarkable young man. Oh, that's tremendous. Um, and so the having all three of us play on a professional concert together, yeah. you, you never know if that's ever going to happen. He's he's majoring in computer science now, so okay, he wants to make some you know, money. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's he's going to fund me, you know, in all my hobbies in my old age. What's the strangest thing you've ever seen on a podium? The strangest thing on a podium. I guess you could say a conductor, but <laughs> I guess that'd be the easiest. I've, I've seen some strange conductors over the years. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of interesting, um, interesting things. Now, off a podium, maybe the strangest thing I saw, uh, uh, in, in, but still on stage, um, we were playing Sleigh Ride with the Pops last year in one of the holiday concerts. And uh, Ben Wright, uh, I was playing third, and Ben Wright was, was playing fourth trumpet. And he came out for the second half, and I noticed he was... On his tux, he had all this wire with lights and, and things. Oh, no. I said, okay, this is weird. And he said, I'll need you to hand me my trumpet at the end. Said, what? <laughs> Why do I need to hand you my trumpet? And we get to the end, and we're, you know, we're heading towards the, um, you know, towards the horse whinny. And he reaches down and pulls out this rubber horse head. <laughs> puts it on. Of course, he can only just barely see through it. So I had to hand him his trumpet. And, and it looked like the, the horse head was eating the trumpet. And, and we played this. And, you know, and he took the bow afterwards. And so then Tom played the, the Winnie, right? We all played the Winnie. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we, we all played the Winnie together. But, but Ben was the only one of us that took the bow. Oh, God, that's funny. Uh, and that was very strange. That's funny. Uh, worst gig you ever played? Um, 
Maybe uh, on Nantucket. I, I got a gig through the BSO uh, my first year in town. They referred these people to me. They wanted somebody to, first of all, to play for their daughter's wedding, Eternal Source of Light Divine, and Trumpet Voluntary. Okay. Great. Down on Nantucket. And then they call back a couple days later. So, well, there's a 70s cover band that we have for the reception <laughs> that their, their trumpet player can't make it. Could you play for that, too? Oh, I'm gosh, like, that's hysterical. Okay, I can play for that. And then I get another call. Well, they're actually playing a show in a rock club the night before the wedding. Could you... So this is all the same fee? All, well, I mean, I got it bumped a little bit, but not as oh, much as okay. it should have been. Um, and so I was playing the night before. I'm going to get up and play Eternal Source of Light Divine. I'm, I'm playing all these 70s tunes in, in a rock band that's, you know, in a rock club that's not a whole lot bigger than a couple of these rooms put together. Yeah. Um, and I was um, requested, uh, along with the rest of the horn section, to do the high knee dance. <laughs> So by the end of the night, you're deaf and shot. Uh, that was, yeah, that was, I was shot in, in, in many ways. And then, you know, sleep, sleeping in a, in a well, bunk. Well, the Heine dance is very, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, you know, and then, you know, and then we'll, we'll put you up in this, in this bunkhouse behind for the, for the rest of the night. So I, I go back to my bunk and try to sleep while everybody's in, ingesting whatever they're ingesting. The um, yeah, oh, it was, that was, hysterical. it was special. It's one of those things you're glad you did once. Okay. Okay. Sort of. Um, let's talk uh, for uh, a minute, if you could, about your faith mm -hmm. and how it's affected your playing and your musicianship. Well, um, quite a bit. Uh, you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, when I say I want to touch people, you know, I I I feel like I'm I'm playing for God and God mm -hmm. does the touching. I mean, I you know, I, I can't change anybody's life. Mm -hmm. you know, that's you know really for Him. And uh, whether I'm playing something that's overtly you know. Christian, as it were. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed many years of playing. You can find some YouTube videos of me playing a piece called I'd Rather Have Jesus with Brass Band, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's just one of my absolute favorite times, you know, uh, uh, to play. Or whether, no matter what I'm playing, um, I, I, I think for me, the message is just always the same. You know? Do you have any particularly moving performances uh, in a religious setting that you've been a part of? Um, well, probably too many to, to really count. Um, I have to say that the New England Brass Band, we played in a lot of churches, uh, uh, and uh, there were a lot of times when we'd play some of these things, Share My Yoke, or, 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 or I'd Rather Have Jesus, or uh, Trumpet Call, Kenneth Downey has a strong, has a strong message that way, um, that have been very, very special. And, and I mean, every Sunday I'm playing in my own church as part of uh, a contemporary band. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Every week? So, so speaking of improvising, I, I mean, I'm not great at it, but I do it every week uh -huh. um, uh, you know, based on whatever's going on at the time. And did you play with your son in church as well? Um, he sings, actually. Oh, there. really? Uh, yeah, he, he hasn't played. Although we have done a little bit of duet playing, we've done, when we're up in Wisconsin, we, we attend a church up there uh, and uh, we'll play some duets together. I wrote a piece for him, actually, for NTC when he was in sixth grade oh, based cool. on the hymn tune Heffredall. Uh, love divine, all loves excelling. Mm -hmm. um, for him to play, or for, for him you to, to play, oh, okay. for him to play with me at the piano. Oh wow! Um, and so he actually played that at NTC one year in the junior division, and uh, and we just played it a um, couple couple months ago up in Wisconsin again. Oh wow! Um, and done a couple other arrangements with him and my wife, and mm -hmm. and, and things like that of all sorts of different uh, tunes that um, you know we we use ourselves. For oh cool! Various occasions, but um, well, we're at that point. In the interview where we do the monster round. I've heard familiar? about this. You've heard about the monster round. It's very, yeah, well. Monstrous. Yeah, it's, it's monstrous. That's a good adjective, yes. Uh, basically, we're going to ask you a bunch of uh, 
questions, and you answer the first thing that comes to your head, short answers. And some of the questions are, are a little more unique than others. Are you ready for the monster round? Um, no, but go. Greatest trumpet piece ever written. Hurry, sonata. Hit him a sonata for trumpet and piano. <laughs> I know you can this do This is really, that. yeah, I, I, I got I to gotta do better. <laughs> uh, what's the worst damage any of your horns has ever seen? Um, I, I, I dropped, I kicked one once in a lesson when I was teaching. On purpose? Um, no, no. <laughs> okay. I was teaching in my basement uh, when I was in, in high school or, or college and actually kicked my trumpet off its case and it didn't do so well for a little while. Yeah, Joel had a cornet lesson with Mark Gould and there was some damage as well. I, I heard about that. <laughs> who would you like to see run for president who isn't currently running? I'm not ready for that one at all. Um, Colin Powell. Ooh. He's Big not running, is he? No, okay. not that I'm aware of. There yeah. we go. Biggest frack of all time. The end of a concert I gave with a brass quintet in Marsh Chapel just up the way. We played Polovetsian Dances, Rolf Smedvig's arrangement, mm -hmm. and um, it was the last note of the concert, not just of the piece, but the last note of the concert in Marsh Chapel, which rings. And I had it, and I just really totally missed it. <laughs> and it and just the whole audience rang, went, and it rang. <gasps> <laughs> that was yeah. almost really good. <laughs> it, was all, it, was, it was so hot until that note. <laughs> uh, which trumpet player alive today would you most like to hear play live? Um, Hogan Hardenberger. What's the worst injury you've ever had? Um, right before the BSO principal trumpet audition, um, however many years ago when Tom won, um, I rented a rotary trumpet because they were requiring rotary trumpets and mm -hmm. I didn't own one. I went to Rayburn's, rented one about five days before and went home and played Bruckner 7 a whole lot. And then went to rehearsal at my church that night and said, ow, and I had bruised my upper lip oh, no. because I just wasn't used to oh, you know, no. that. And um, the audition um, was uh, substandard. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, it took me it took me a few weeks to get back after that one. Yeah. yeah. Favorite uh, lead trumpet player in history? Lead trumpet. Well, Doc. I mean, he's not exactly a lead trumpet player, but um, you know, I always admired what he did mm -hmm. on, on top of a section. What's the uh, alcohol of choice? Zero. Favorite place to play the trumpet? Hmm. Symphony Hall. Besides your wife, who's your dream girl? Um, if my wife were standing beside my wife, she'd be my dream girl. <laughs> well, she's not, <laughs> she's not standing here. No. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, favorite symphony? Um, Ludoslavsky, uh, Third Symphony. Why the the in front of Ohio State University? <laughs> Uh, because I guess the Board of Trustees decided that the university needed the, 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 the at some point because, you know, we can't be pretentious about everything, but why not that? Greatest principal trumpet player of all time. Um, Mr. Herseth was awfully good. Um, I like Phil. I like Phil Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your favorite instrument to play that's not a B-flat or C trumpet? Um, E-flat trumpet. All right, last one. What's your favorite piece to play in church? Favorite piece in church? If you had one last performance to play in a church. I'd rather have Jesus. Oh, okay. 
Terry Everson, thanks very much for joining My us. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.